This is Lance Turner, pastor at Grow Church. We'd like to thank you for joining our podcast. We pray the message today stirs your faith and it causes you to grow. Enjoy the message. You know, it's, uh, it's so easy to get up here and, and speak after such a wonderful time of worship. And, you know, we never, I don't know about you, but I never get tired of declaring the greatness of God. I never get tired of declaring His love. How many of you have experienced His love in the fullness of it? Amen? It's life-changing. It will transform your life forever. And if you walk out your faith in Christ out of love, everything works. Now, we, we gather together. I was telling the first service, we gather together every Sunday morning. And there has to be a good reason why you get up and fight all, all, sometimes all hell, right? Anybody ever? On Sunday morning, it seems like if anything can go wrong, it can. Is that right? Some of you are laughing because this morning it happened to you. And so there's a reason why you get up every Sunday morning and you fight those things and you get in your car and you drive to this place. You come to worship Him, I hope. There are other reasons why that people go to church. A lot of times it's out of obligation or they feel like they're responsible to do, to do it. It's, it's the right thing to do. Or you may feel like, well, for me to be pleasing to God, I need to get, I need to get there. Those two are really not great reasons to go to church. Amen? The best reason to go is, you know, I love Christ. I'm thankful for what He's done in my life. I can't wait to get to church so I can lift my voice and I can lift my hands and declare, holy, there is none like you. Can I get an amen this morning? Is anybody with you, Pastor? So I'm here to tell you, Shift your focus off of obligation, off of being seen, or maybe even trying to please God. Listen, you're already pleasing to Him. Because of the cross, because of the blood of Christ, you are pleasing to God. Amen. So quit trying to earn His favor and walk from His favor. That preach. Y'all ready to go home now? But here, here's, here's what you need to get. So the why is so important of anything you do. We've been in this series called Be One. And we've been talking about the importance of unifying and being unified as the body of Christ. And week one, I gave you a clear picture of why we want to talk about unity because I believe it's the heart of God. And we read in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, that Christ actually prayed a prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer where he said, I want them to be one. I want my people to be one. Everybody who, who is already mine and those who will be mine, I want them to be one. That was his prayer. And then, then he gave a good why. Why does he want us one as the body of Christ? Because he wants his name known throughout the world. There are still people, listen to me, church, there are still people that we rub shoulders with every single day in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, who are outside the faith, who don't know Christ as personal Savior. He had a vision to see them come in, to know His name, and to be drawn into the body of Christ. Are you glad that somebody cared enough to tell you the gospel? Anybody grateful for that? Somebody somewhere caught the vision that Christ had and said, I'm going to share the gospel, Stacy." And they shared it with you. And look where you're at. Are you thankful for those people 
who are willing to open their mouth and say, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Christ came. He died. He, he lived a sinless life. He died. He rose again. Amen. So what unifies us is the fact that Christ prayed the prayer and he wants us one so that his name can be made famous throughout the earth. That was the reasoning. That was his heart for his people. John 17, 20, and 21. Last week, Ron Utzi did a fantastic job of, of talking to us about the power there is in unifying. And there's that word called synergy where if we're all working together for a common goal and a common purpose, we can accomplish way more together than we can each of us individually. Because the impact of that, the outcome of us working together is multiplied the more people that work. Remember the horse analogy? One horse, 9,000 pounds, two horses, not 18 like you would think, but 30,000. So it's a, there's an exponential multiplication of power, of synergy with every person who says, I'll, I'm in, I'm in, I'll do it, I'll work, amen? So what about a church that's united under a common vision to see people come to faith in Christ? What if we all were in on that? What would happen? Somebody said the sky's the limit. Absolutely it is. Our friends, our family, our co-workers would come to Christ. It's possible, folks, and it's the heart of God. So if it's the heart of God, it's going to come to pass. Amen. So today, I want to I capture, continue this vein of being one. And I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4 because uh, Paul had a lot to say to the, the church at Ephesus, a lot about the church and how important it is. And so we're going to start at verse 1 you have your Bibles it's also up on the screen and here's what Paul says he says as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling which you have received go back to verse 1 look at this what is he saying what is Paul saying who's he talking to who's Paul talking to the church people like you and I and what does he say live a life worthy of the call in other words there's an assumption that not just some people are called but every person who names the name of Christ are called. And he says, live a life worthy. In other words, you gotta, you got to get your work done. you got to do your homework. you gotta, you got to be excellent in what you're doing, right? Because it's an important mission. So he says, live a life worthy of the call for which you have been called. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're called. Go to verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in. Isn't it amazing that love always shows up? Why? Because it's always, say always, the foundation of everything. Love is always the foundation. It's always the motivation. It's what drives us. It's what pushes us along. It's what helps us to live a life worthy of the call. Amen? And so he says, make, make every effort to keep the unity, say unity, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here's, here's, here's something that God's saying to us as a church. Go back to verse 3 because I want to make every effort. In other words, be diligent. Make it a priority to guard unity. Whose job is it to guard unity? Point, do like this, point, put, your, put your finger in your chest. It's my job to guard unity. Why is it my job to guard unity? Because I'm a part of the body. 
It's my responsibility. So he says, make every effort. In other words, do everything you can to make sure unity continues. Make every effort to keep the unity through the spirit of the bond of peace. Verse 4. There is one body. That's us, right? Everybody who names the name of Christ. And one spirit, spirit of God. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Again, he reiterates this idea of calling. Verse 5. There's one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what I want to do in the next few weeks is to concentrate on these verses. And we're going to start today talking about the fact that there's one Lord. We've already covered one, being one body. We've done that the last two weeks. We already talked about the Spirit. But you understand, you see... In, in these passages, there's an outcome that you're seeing even in those passages where we're walking in humility and gentleness and patience and love. Who's, who's behind that? Who's behind those, those things? Humility, patience, love. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in us brings about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. So when we begin to see these things emerge in our church, people walking in humility and love and, and all that kind of stuff, you can rest assured the Spirit's at work. And unity's going to be an outcome. So today I want to focus on one Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And so the first point, if you're taking notes, Jesus Christ has, has the, the right to claim himself as Lord. Why? Because he is God. He's not some great prophet. He's not some great preacher. No, he's God. So here's, here's what you need to understand. When, when everything was created at the beginning of time, when God, with just the breath of his mouth, uh, spoke the world into existence, guess who was, who was doing that? Jesus. When he took and knelt and took the dust to the ground and he formed man in his own image and he breathed the breath of life, guess who it was? Jesus. So if I'm going to call him Lord, I've got to recognize he's not just some man that came and preached some good stuff to love each other. No, he's the very God who created it all. And here's, here's something else. If it's His, if He created it, it's His, and He has a right to be Lord. Some of you are like, mm, I don't know about that, Pastor. Think about it. Everything that you say you own, what do you say? It's mine. Some of you guys, boy, y'all, you got that, man, you, you're tough, and so this is my house. Look at my castle. I'm the king of my castle. I know you guys, I know some of you said that before, right? You walk in the door of your home. The king's home. Lord's home. You sit in your, you sit in your recliner like it's your throne. Y'all laughing because it's real. Listen to me, folks. You think that way because you think that you earned it. You worked, and you did. You earned the money. You, you, pay, you pay the mortgage. I get it. I understand. It's your castle. Your Lord. But here's a, so with that same thing in mind, God created everything. It's his. Can he say that same thing? This is my place. This is my world. I'm Lord. 
He can say that with all rights. Now, some of you have a, 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 long, a wrong connotation of what the word Lord is. You may even have a negative. When you hear Lord, you think it's... Anybody had a, ever had a bad boss? Who had his thumb on you? Who was fearful? He was, that's how he led. He just made everybody afraid. And maybe that's the kind of connection that you make with, with this whole lordship thing. Well, I'm not, nobody can tell me what to do. And I'm not going to be coerced or, or being fearfully being made to do something. So when we think of lord, some of you may think in a negative connotation. But I'm here to tell you, when, when we get through with this, you'll see a clear picture. That's not how Christ operates. He's lord, yes. But he operates differently. Amen. So he has a right. He's God. John 1. Let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Who is that referring to? Jesus. So you think about this for a second. It's real similar to Genesis 1, in the beginning. What is John trying to do? He's painting this picture that Christ truly is the Son of God. He's laying a foundation. The very first verse, he's, he's setting this, this tone of Jesus is God. And then we skip down to verse 14. Same, same passage, I mean, same chapter. The Word, who's the Word? Who is the Word? The Word is God, right? The Word became flesh. In other words, He put on skin, like you and me, and He dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, Jesus, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Anybody thankful for grace this morning? Hmm. Where would we be without it? The same God who spoke the world into existence, who has every right to, to really condemn mankind for their sin, doesn't do that. In other words, He deals with us differently. He doesn't deal with us the way we should be dealt with. All of, our, all of us deserve death because of our sin. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He dealt with us in grace. He went to the cross. He shed his blood so you and I could have access to the Father. Amen. And so he's God. The other thing is, after his resurrection, the Bible says that he appeared to his disciples. And there, there was some of them, and we would be the same way. If I was walking with God, I mean with Christ, all those years, and you know, there would be things that I would, I would not sure about. I'd be questioning. And they did. They questioned a lot of stuff, didn't they? And sometimes it, it felt like things were just going over their head. And there was one in particular, Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe he's risen until I touch his hands and his side. And Christ said, okay, I'll do that. So he hands him his hand and he touches. And then he feels his side. And in that moment, John 20, 28 gives us a clear picture of his response. This is Thomas. What does he say? Thomas said to him, what? My Lord and my God. Can you imagine the light bulb that goes off? All this he's seen, all the miracles, all the loving, all the healing, and all of a sudden he gets it. Why? Because he touches him. My Lord and my God. What's your response to the love of God? Anybody saved in here? Anybody redeemed by the blood of Christ? What's your response? My Lord and my God. He's worthy. So he's God. So he has, he has the right to be called Lord. 
Acts 2.36 Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both what? Lord and Messiah. You, you understand the audience that's, that's listening to this, right? These are Jewish people. People who are expecting a Messiah. But he didn't come the way they thought he would. And so they were rejecting Christ. And so the, the apostles here are saying, look, l listen here. Wake up. This guy that you just crucified, he's your Lord. He's your Messiah. And guess what? Many of them still miss it today. Many Jewish people deny Jesus as Messiah even today. Thanks be to God, there are those that the Holy Spirit has enlightened and they, they've, they've recognized him as Messiah. We call them Messianic Jews. But the reality is, at some point in the future, they'll call him Lord. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, call him Lord. What is it that's been in the heart of God since the beginning of time? Since the time he created us, he's always wanted fellowship with you and I. Amen? That's why he created us in the first place. We messed it up. Our sin is what messed it up. And thanks be to Christ, the reason he came and clothed himself in flesh is because he wanted to restore relationship. And that's what the cross says. The cross says, I love you. Amen. So, because God was willing to clothe himself in flesh and walk in the agape love of God, he went to the cross. And therefore has proven to us that he can be called Lord. As a matter of fact, it's almost like he wants us to willingly call him Lord without him having to force us to call him Lord. In other words, I don't have to call him Lord. I get to call him Lord. There's a big difference in those two words, right? Have to is coercion. Getting to is, man, born out of a love and relationship so number two he has all authority we've already said he created everything right and he even acknowledged it himself in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 he said then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me so he recognizes he has the authority it's there but you know what he chose not to be a tyrannical leader he chose not to lead with a heavy fist. How did he choose to lead? Totally the opposite. Any, I, let me ask the question one more time. Anybody ever been under somebody who led with an iron fist? What, is, what does people like that do? They push people away. Nobody wants to be around them. So why is it that Christ, in his ministry, the three, the three and a half years he was ministering, why were people drawn to Christ by the thousands? Why? Because he loved them. You know, he took, he took some mud, and he spit on it, and he put it on a guy's eyes, and then he, I can see. Or... The Roman centurion who all he, all he had to do was say the word. Listen, all you got to do, Jesus, you don't have to even come. All you got to do is say the word and I, my, my, so, my servant's going to be healed. And what happened? Boom. Why did that happen? Christ was showing us and exemplifying for us what true rulership and lordship looks like. 
It's not what you think it is. And that's why people by the thousands would come. His love, his compassion for them drew them to him. So what, he, what is he saying to us as his body being one? He's saying, if you'll live the way I live, if you lead the way I lead, what's going to happen? People are going to be drawn. You have, you're going to have an impact. You're going to have influence. And so he has this moment where he says to his disciples, let me just teach you a little something, okay? He liked doing that. He was a great teacher, wasn't he? So over and over again, these disciples, they, they missed it time and time again. And they would, they would, they would argue over who's going to be the greatest, you know, and let me sit by the, you know, I mean, even got their mom in on it, right? Hey, uh, my boys want to be your right and left, they want to be your right hand people, right? And God's like, and Jesus is like, come on. Really? You're missing the whole point. And so he says, let me teach you something. Listen up. Matthew chapter 20. He says, Jesus called them. He's talking to his disciples. Called them together. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, they're ruling with an iron fist. And he says, and their high officials exercise authority over them. What does he say to his disciples? Not so with you. We're going to do this differently, guys. We're going to behave differently. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that strikes against everything that we have grown up knowing in our, in our culture. Amen? How many of you love the United States? I do. I love the country I live in. But you've got to think about this for a second. We were, our country was born out of revolution. And we even call one of our, our most popular days, what do we call it? Independence Day. There's some danger in that. In saying we're independent. There's some danger in that, especially in terms of the kingdom of God. So if I'm totally independent, what happens? I got my hands up, my, my, my fists are clenched, tight. This is mine, God. This belongs to me. I worked hard for it. I worked 60 hours a week for it, God. This is my life. I'm in control. What do we do? We hold our fists up, close them tight. And we're want, well, you know, we feel like maybe God sometimes wants to go. And he, could he? Very well he could. That's not what he wants. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to willingly go. So if I see him as a tyrant, bossy, demanding, what am I going to do? Hold on to it. So we had to fight this idea of, well, we're, we're born in a country of independence. Yeah, it's great. I love being here. God gives us opportunities and stuff. But the reality is the kingdom of God works differently. There is a king. There's one Lord, amen? And his name's Jesus. But what he's saying is the way to get to greatness is not holding on. The way to greatness is giving up 
What did he say? You must be a servant and a slave. Last time I checked, slaves have no rights. So what's, what's Christ asking for? He's not tearing it away. He's asking you to willingly go. Here it is. And the reason it's so po powerful is because he led the way. He led the way. Think about this for a second. The king of kings, the one who 24-7, up until the time he put on flesh, was being worshipped 24-7. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was the echo in heaven over and over again that Christ was hearing. He was receiving worship 24-7. And he, he decides to step out of, of heaven into time. And... He didn't step in time the way you and I think, think he should or would, right? Or even his disciples thought he should or would. Because their mind was, he's coming, the Messiah's coming, and we're going to overthrow Rome, baby. That's what it, that was in their minds. Rome's going down. Can you imagine the confusion when he comes in a barn? Wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born in a barn? Why did he do that? He's showing us a way. The better way. Oh, well, let me say it even better. The best way. So he says, I'm going to be... I'm, I want you to be servants. This is how you get to greatness. This is how you get to, to really, if you want to accomplish things for the kingdom, you want to walk worthy of the call, servanthood is, the, is the, the avenue to greatness. And I'm going to show you what that looks like specifically. It looks like a manger, stinky, smelly barn, amen? It looks like a carpenter's son. Not a royal lion king, right? It looks like a beating on his back until he's almost dead. It looks like two nails in his hands, a nail in his fit, foot, feet, and crowns on his head. That's what it looks like. It's totally upside down, isn't it? It's not what you think it would be. And so what he's saying is, I'm not going to force your hands open. I'm going to show you what real servanthood, what real love looks like, and then you'll willingly open your hands to me. You'll willingly call me Lord. He sets the example. We are under his authority as the body of Christ. You understand that, right? Ephesians 1, tells us he put all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Who's the head? Not me. Who's in charge? Not me. He is. But don't you love the way he's leading? And when we come to him, heavy burdened down with life, with the struggles. How many of you struggle? rest of you lying. How many of you struggle sometimes? Listen, this is a safe place, folks. We're, we're not this uppity church that all of us have got it together. Your pastor don't have it together, okay? I can't go down here. I'll get, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> they can't see me online. I'll give you the why. Okay. 
I want people to be able to see my beautiful face. My wife told me I was beautiful. She didn't. She didn't. So anyway, what, I, I think I just lost my train. Oh, good Lord. What was I saying? Struggle. We all struggle, right? Where was I going with that? We all struggle, right? This is, this is a safe place. So what does Jesus say to us? Come. Let's look at it. Matthew 11. Come to me. Don't run. Don't run from me. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that he's lording over you with a heavy fist and a thumb? No, I'm humble. I'm gentle. Come. Are you struggling with finances? Come. Is your relationships a mess? Come. Is your health a mess? Come. Come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Some of you still holding on. Even in the middle of this message, you can't quite grasp how God feels about you. You can't quite understand the love of God for you. And you want to hold on with clenched fists. And God's saying, let it go. Let it go. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. What is it that gives him credibility to say, I'm Lord? Well, we've already said he's God. He created everything. But what about his death and resurrection? What did that do? That sealed the credibility once and for all. Because let me ask you a question. How many people you know are walking out of tombs? You know anybody? Hey, well, amen, yeah, yeah, spiritual tomb. Amen. Praise God for that. Out of spiritual death. His resurrection is the most compelling evidence that he's worthy to be called Lord. Amen. Paul said it very clearly and very plainly and, and great in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll go with me to that. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this is really, really important, folks. You need to pay attention to what I'm about to say, okay? What does he say? That Christ, what did he do? Say it out. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, remember Thomas? And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Do you understand this, the, the, the significance of this reality of his resurrection? Paul himself. Do you know who he was before? Saul of Tarsus. Terrorist. Murderer. Remember we said, talking about enemies the other day? He was pursuing the church to do him damage. He was an enemy of the church. And one moment, listen to me folks, one moment with the risen Christ changed him from a terrorist to a lover of God. One moment. 
Isn't that great? One moment in His presence, one moment with the risen Lord can change everything. So his, de his death and His resurrection gives credibility to us calling Him who He really is as Lord. Skip on down to verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You understand, folks, that there's a resurrection day coming, that every person that you know who's died will be resurrected. And then you and I, if God tarries, we will die too. No one in this room can escape that reality. I don't care how, how much you exercise, if you eat... Uh, Whole 30 and, and makers died or whatever, you're going to die one day. But the, the great thing is you're going to be resurrected. And guess what? Jesus led the way even in that. That's why it's called the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one to walk out of the tomb. Why is that? That paints a picture for us of the reality of what's coming. We will one day be risen. Hallelujah. All these people that you know who've, who've gone on before you, that you, your heart is sad, you're broken because you, you can't be with them anymore, anymore. One day you will be. All because Christ walked out of the tomb. Hallelujah. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Adam, Jesus. Adam, sin. Jesus, re resurrection. Hallelujah. For in, a, in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Hallelujah. For, but in each turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. You realize that you're walking from a place of victory this morning? That you're not a defeated foe? I should have got a better amen than that. That because of Christ's empty tomb, you can, you don't have, the enemy just has no dominion on you ever again. Amen. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And here, here's the funny thing about this. It's not like... There, you know, if, if you ever watch, you know, like um, Avengers and all that, there's this epic battle, and you're not sure. I mean, there's a chance that, that uh, maybe evil will prevail and conquer. In this, in this case, there's no chance. You realize that, right? You're not, God's not up there wringing his hands. Oh, I'm wondering if, he, I'm wondering if gonna, Satan's going to win this time. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, no, 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 no. He's a defeated foe. And so you're walking, you're walking from that victory, from that place of authority. The same authority that Christ has, you have it. Hmm. Pastor, you're doing a good job today preaching. This is powerful. So the last enemy to be defeated is death. He's already done that. He's already done that, right? 2,000 years ago, he defeated death. Now he's made us alive. Hallelujah. Anybody alive in this place? You're alive in Christ. You love him with all your heart. He's made you alive. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins, Tammy, have been made alive in Christ. Hallelujah. There's victory in that. I'm almost done. The last thing here, that you, well, let me read one more passage of Scripture, and then I'll move on. Revelation chapter 17. This, this shows you what's, what's about to happen at the end of days, at the resurrection of 
for everybody. Here's what it says. That they will wage war. Who's going to wage war? Satan and his, his buddies. Right? He's going to gather his gang together for one last ditch effort, which is already defeated, right? They're going to they're wage war on the lamb, the lamb that was slain, right? And the lamb will triumph for them because he is what? He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him, get this part, pay attention, will be his... What did Paul say in Ephesians 4? Walk worthy of the... Walk worthy of the call, right? We are the called ones. We are the ones who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we're going to be with him fighting from victory. Amen. We're going to watch this. We're going to have a, a front seat of this total beatdown of Satan. Come on, somebody. A total beatdown. Anybody ever watch MMA? MMA. How many of you watch MMA? Oh, you guys. Okay, it's all going to be all guys, right? There might be some women in here who watch MMA. What happens? Man, there's some guys getting that ring and they just get toe up, right? So can you imagine, what's the guy's name that's so popular? Um, Conor McGregor fighting, you know, I don't know, me. Can you imagine me getting in the ring with Conor McGregor? Pastor, you have your will made? Do you have a living will? Because that's what's going, it's going to be a beatdown of epic proportions. This is the kind of fight we're, we're talking about. When, the, when Satan wages war against the Lamb, it's going to be a beatdown of epic proportions. Amen? Once and for all, too. He's Lord. Amen? So this last point I want to make. We are united. We are one as we submit to Jesus as Lord. Here's what it looks like. We walk together in step, in obedience to what Christ has said. Out of what? We don't have to. We get to. Jesus said at John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey me. Right? And then we walk in step in the mission God's called us to. I'm not going to read it, but we, we read it a lot. Matthew 28 and 19, 20. What does he call us to according to Matthew 28? You got, those of you that are around here, you know exactly what I'm saying. What does he call us to? To make disciples there are people under our circle of influence who are outside the faith who Christ has commissioned us to tell them the good news the gospel of Christ folks it's simple we're not talking about rocket science here we're talking Jesus came lived a sinless life died a cruel death on the cross and walked out of the tomb if you share that there's power in that you don't have to be eloquent and, and say all these fancy theological words. Just preach the gospel. Amen. But we've all been commissioned. You remember that call we talked about just a second ago? That's the call. So as we, walk, as we lock step together with the mission and the vision that Christ gave us, we will be one. Amen. And then, lastly, we are united against this common enemy. We've already, we've already said there's victory in that. John 10, 10. We walk in the John 10, 10 lifestyle. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you can rest assured, he can't destroy your life. You're in him. So the reality is going to be the last part of the verse. The Lord of your life says, I want you to walk in abundant life. I want you to have a rich and satisfying life.
Sounds pretty good? The one who is your Lord says, if you'll just open your hands to me, abundant life is a possibility. It's a reality. You can, do, you can hold on all you want to. And some people still do. But why not respond to what we've talked about today? His love for you. His willingness to go to the cross for you. His ability to walk out of the tomb with power. And one day, it's going to be so evident that he has crushed the enemy that we could say willingly today, Lord, I give you this. I give you me. Is he worthy of that? Does he demand that? He's shown he's worthy of it. He asked you to do it, no doubt. But here's the great thing about this thing. He loves us enough to give us the opportunity to live our lives still with closed fists. Pastor, how's that love? He's not forcing you. He wants you to choose Him because you want to. Not because you have to. Are you hearing me today? So you you go right ahead. If you want to go walk, walk through life with clenched fists, thinking, thinking you're the one who's making it happen, thinking that everything revolves around you, you go right ahead. But one day, I'm telling you, one day you will. Because the Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Even the demons will one day bow and say, you're Lord. Would you stand?